Our Old Testament scripture reading is Proverbs chapter 22. The text for our sermon is simply verse 6. Though my goal this morning is to explain and proclaim verse 6 in the context of how Proverbs speaks as a whole. And so the whole chapter is very important for how we hear this verse in particular. Proverbs 22. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. He who loves purity of heart, and whose speech is gracious, will have the king as his friend. The eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the traitor. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. The mouth of forbidden women is a deep pit. He with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips, that your trust may be in the Lord. I have made them known to you, even to you, I've made them known to you today, even to you. Have I not written for you thirty sayings of counsel and knowledge to make you know what is right and true? that you may give a true answer to those who sent you. Do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Be not one of those who give pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Our New Testament reading is Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we gather together around your word, we pray for the presence and work of your Holy Spirit. As we come to your word this morning, we desire to receive wisdom. But we need this wisdom to be not of our own invention, but a result of your work among us. And it is for that reason that we humbly pray for your Spirit's presence. As we come to your word this morning, we desire not only the gift of wisdom, but that this would be the wisdom of Christ, and that we would be directed to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ through your word. For this to happen as well, we need the presence and work of your Holy Spirit. And so we humbly acknowledge our own weakness, our dependence upon you, and we seek your work among us through this, the preaching of your holy word. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, this morning we are pausing from our series in the book of Genesis uh, for a sermon for the new year. And what I have often done at this point in the year is sought to choose a text that for you know, whatever reason I thought might be useful or valuable for our congregation as we look to a life of faithfulness in the year to come. This morning I have chosen, I hope perhaps for surprising reasons, though also it might seem like obvious reasons, Proverbs 22 verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. Wow, why would a minister choose a verse like that in this congregation? Well, there are a handful of children among us. This is a task that we have before us, not only as parents, but as a congregation, the work of discipling the many children and young people in our midst. I have called the sermon simply on wisdom and parenting. Now, to name a sermon in that way, there are many dangers. One, I want to remind us, it is our conviction as a congregation that the way things ordinarily ought to be is that we preach through books of the Bible. And the reason a certain passage is being preached on is because, well, that is the passage we have arrived at as we have worked through that book of the Bible. That's what we love, what we delight in, how we think it ought to be. But it is also appropriate to pause and preach on a particular text for particular needs of a congregation. That's what we are pausing to do this morning. It should not be what we usually do, but it is good and right to do from time to time. There is another danger, and that is the danger of when you hear something like a topic. Oh, that's, that's a scary word. This is not a topical sermon. The sermon is going to be on this verse. The choosing of it, though, is for the sake of a topic. 
When that happens, we're tempted to decide, well, does that topic apply to me or not? And then decide whether or not we sort of check out based on that. You detect the topic parenting, you might think, well, I'm not parenting right now, so this isn't for me. Two responses to that. First, everything I'm going to be saying is going to be aimed at, directed toward how we think about wisdom in general. And so I would encourage you to think of what we say about parenting this morning as being by way of illustrating how God's Word speaks of wisdom more generally. By way of illustrating how God's Word speaks of life. All of life can be spoken of in the way we're going to speak of these things this morning. A second thing. Every time we come to God's Word, gather together on the Lord's Day, what are we after? Merely good advice? Now, I hope to give some advice this morning on the basis of Scripture. But the goal of all of it is what? That we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything this morning is in service to the gospel, flows from the gospel, and is headed toward the gospel. And so this morning, that is what we anticipate. That we would, even in a very zoomed-in particular example of wisdom in Scripture, that we would behold Christ. This morning, we ask the question of wisdom and parenting. We're going to do this in three steps. First, the covenantal wisdom of Proverbs. Second, the real-world wisdom of Proverbs. And then third, the gospel wisdom of Proverbs. First, the covenantal wisdom of Proverbs. We begin with verse 6. Here is the word we are focusing upon. Remember, as an example of wisdom in general, and as pointing us to the gospel. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It is a famous verse, a well-known verse. Countless Books on Christian biblical parenting have been written using this verse as a main text. The basic idea is simple. And in fact, it is simple because it's not a rule, first of all. It's not a commandment, first of all. It is rather Solomon making an observation about reality. He's looking around at the world and saying, this is how the world works. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That there are things parents are called to be and do that have the effect of shaping and forming the life of the child going into the future. That there are things parents do that have an impact, an effect on how things go in the future. Now, if you have heard this verse before, if you have heard this verse before, in the context of teaching about parenting, you've heard it as a command. That's not how we should hear it. Proverbs is simply saying, look, here's how things go. God has structured reality in such a way that parents pass things on to children. God has structured reality in such a way that we are intergenerationally related. That each generation has a time of overlap in which things get transferred, and that's simply the way the world works. An observation in a very earthy way of how God made the world. We can also speak of this, though, more covenantally. 
that yes, this is simply an observation in an earthy, created sense of how the world works, but there are also things the scripture says that come to us in the form of command, on the basis of or reflecting this earthy, created reality. There are things the scriptures say to us by way of telling parents, this therefore is what you ought to do. We have, for example, the language of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then these words, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 is saying that those who are within the covenant people of God should observe that created reality that generations pass things on and should make use of that for the way of the covenant. That therefore, in the midst of that way that God made generations to relate, the covenant should be passed on. So Moses says in Deuteronomy 6, speak of these things with your children. The New Testament speaks this way as well. We read a moment ago from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The language there is richly covenantal. Bring them up in. There is something your children already have by way of God's covenant promises. They have the identity of being part of the covenant people. They have received the sign of baptism and therefore received the promises of the covenant. And Ephesians 6 is then telling parents to bring children up in that. To remind them, proclaim to them who they are in Christ. To call them to the life of faith and obedience in response to those promises of God in Christ. Putting all of that together then, that earthy wisdom of Proverbs 22, bring up a child in the way he should go, proclaimed in Deuteronomy 6, speak of these things with your children, Ephesians 6, bring them up in the, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All of that creates a picture, a vision for how the way of the covenant ought to go. That parents ought to be raising and discipling their children with the expectation that in the ordinary created way of things, these things get passed on to the next generation. And that God, in the way of the covenant, ordinarily uses that as one of the ways he inspires faith in the life of the next generation. This is the way of the covenant. It is the way that we are called to embrace and live out of as parents. What does this look like? Again, remember, grounded in that earthy observation of how the world works. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What does this look like in the home? Well, now, here is where so many of the books and the sermons go wrong. We need to have a little talk here, because you all like to ask me questions. Being a minister does not make me an expert on parenting. Being a minister does not give me mystical insight into how you should handle a 13-year-old. To a large extent, I have no idea. I'm figuring it out with you. Now, why is that okay to say? Does the scripture give us a handbook for child raising? 
Absolutely not. In fact, if you want to, if you want to home in on this point, you can get really frustrated right now. Because verse 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and it never tells us how. It doesn't. In fact, what is it doing? Proverbs is saying, look at how the world works. If we press the Bible and we say, how should we do it? It'll say, I don't know, be wise. Observe how the world works. What is one of the things this looks like? We have to stop panicking about finding biblical principles that will determine every last thing we do and seek the way of wisdom in the way the world works. This means learning from each other, learning from those who have gone before us. This means learning from the specific things about what our particular children are like, what we are like as parents, about the circumstances we are facing. All of this is infinitely complex because God's people live in infinitely different times and circumstances and places. One of the things this looks like is seeking wisdom in our relationships together, in terms of applying scriptural principles, and in terms of learning from those who have come before us. What's another thing this looks like? Well, the scripture does give commands. Deuteronomy 6 is very clear that one of the ways we are meant to respond to the wisdom of Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, one of the ways we are meant to respond to that is by speaking of these things with our children. And so there is a particular command to the way of catechesis, of communicating, of speaking of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the way and life of the covenant, and to do so in the way of nurturing faith in the hearts of our children. There is the expectation that we are doing that in the life of the church, welcoming and including children in the fellowship of God's people. And so we could say two very specific things that come very directly from that scriptural principle. First, in the home, in response to Proverbs 22, verse 6, you must be speaking of these things. Personality tendency is irrelevant. What you prefer to do is irrelevant. What you instinctively have an interest in or find it comfortable to do is irrelevant. We have a direct command from Scripture, speak of these things with your children. And that is the calling of parents. Second, for the life of the church, this whole covenantal picture is of including children in the thing that God has included all of us in. And so the overall disposition of the life of the church must be that of including children in the life and fellowship of the church. The great error of modern evangelicalism is of partitioning kids off in their own thing, their own group, their own particular life, their own particular fellowship. We seek to be in obedience to this vision of the way of the covenant, to be fellowshipping in a way that is including our children intergenerationally. Those are just examples. Bring up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it the covenantal wisdom of Proverbs. But that's only point one. You may have noticed the sermon title, I neglected part, parentheses. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes agree. Second, this morning, the real world wisdom of Proverbs. Here's a problem. Everything I've just said, it's all true. 
It's necessary. It's urgently important. But it is not the whole story. And everything I have just said, if it is what we hear as the whole story, and I'm telling you countless parenting books and countless parenting conferences and talks, treat it as the whole story. If you hear that as the whole story, all we have just heard is death-dealing legalism. And these things have been said oppressively and legalistically. The doctrine of covenant succession. Some of you have heard of it. This covenantal vision for the faith being passed off in the gener- passed on in the generations. It's clearly in Scripture. It is to be loved, to be embraced, to be trusted in, to be lived out of. But it can so easily be presented as a means of mechanistic control. You know how this goes. Do the right things and you control the outcome. Or, in broader evangelicalism, we can say in the Reformed world, our danger is that legalistic, mechanistic view of covenant succession. In the broader evangelical world, there is the obsession with technique, methods, ways of doing things, especially if they're countercultural. So the world does it this way, so we're going to do it this way. And you can fill in the blank on matters of education, on matters of any aspect of parenting and discipline and how we raise children. There's all sorts of ways where we validate what we do by saying, the world's doing it this way, we're going to do it this opposite way, and now we've got it figured out. And then what we really love to do is tie all of that to Bible verses. So I've got a verse that says, here's the technique I'm using. And then here's what is so delightful in the life of the church. (laughs) We all come together... We all have our Bible verse defending a technique, and they're all different. Now what? Conflict. Potentially chaos. Because everything we're doing, we've tied to this is the way in objection to the horrors of the world. If we do this, whether it be in the reformed way of covenant succession, or that broader evangelical way of obsession with technique, If we do this, and we have this define how we approach these things, the result is what on my notes I have called death spirals. Now, okay, so my notes say death spirals. Oh, there's Pastor Nick being dramatic. Well, first of all, I can see a lot of your faces right now. You know what I'm talking about. You know just how deadly how miserable this can be when we are given over to this sort of thing. And remember, by the way, we're not just talking about parenting. Wisdom in the Christian life in general. You know the death spiral. Inadequacy and despair in the midst of trying to do things the right way and seeing constant mistakes, constant things not going the way you desire them to go. And this can pervade all of life then, that sense of inadequacy, a death spiral, one might say of inadequacy, of legalism that drives children away, of reactionary generations, of feeling trapped in, my parents did it this way, I'm doing it the opposite. And then you realize, wait a minute, I think that's what they did. And then is that what my parents, my kids are going to do? Are we just trapped, infinitely reacting? Now, we can laugh about that. And sometimes I think we ought to just laugh about it and admit 
Yes, that's what we're doing. But it's also fearful. It can feel like a death spiral again. Is that all we have? Is reaction? Guilt and shame compounding the heartbreak of wayward children, especially if we have been preached, have been told there is this mechanistic connection between what we do and the outcome. And so it's fear when we're doing it. It's shame when it hasn't gone the way we wanted. It's pride when there are things going well. And then you throw all that together in the life of the church. I'm going to go ahead and call them death spirals. Brothers and sisters, Let us hear Proverbs 22, verse 6 rightly. And the way I want to encourage us to hear it rightly is by saying Proverbs and Ecclesiastes agree. Now, we've made much of Ecclesiastes in this congregation. One of the, the sort of simple overview ways we can summarize Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is the way they are different. And this is fair. This This is good. The emphasis of Proverbs is on the way the world was created to work. The emphasis of Ecclesiastes is how on the world doesn't always work the way it was created to work because sin and the curse have messed things up. The emphasis of Proverbs is on wisdom we can figure out. We can see it is clear. The emphasis of Ecclesiastes is on how we cannot figure out wisdom. There is so much we do not understand and cannot grasp in this life. What I want to set before you is that those two books exist side by side. And they exist side by side because they agree. And they agree not simply because we're stuck saying they agree because they're both in the Bible, but because they actually say the same things. All that Ecclesiastes says about what we can't figure out is something it presents as a thing we can figure out, that we can see and observe about the world that there are things we can't figure out. All that Ecclesiastes says is about wise observation of the way the world is. And all that Proverbs says, here's the key, all that Proverbs says is well aware that this is never a matter of mechanistic control. All that Proverbs says is well aware that the world is broken by the curse and twisted and distorted by our sin and things do not always go the way God created the world to go. For example, you know, we, 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 hear, we hear the verse, Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child, and we, we, we jump into mechanistic mode. But then we hear Proverbs say things like, working hard leads to prosperity, And we know there's all sorts of ways that doesn't always work out. We know there's all sorts of ways it doesn't go the way Proverbs describes, and yet the thing Proverbs describes is absolutely true. We know that working hard is a good thing. There is an ordinary way in which working hard results in fruitfulness. And we know we can observe what Proverbs says about, in the passage we read, for example, about the sluggard, who in verse 13 says, there is a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. The sluggard makes up excuses to not go out and work because there's something he's afraid of. And we know that what Proverbs says is true, that that often leads to unfruitfulness, poverty. But we also know that is not always the case. We know with Proverbs 11 verse 16 that violent men get riches. We know with Proverbs 11 verse 28 that whoever trusts in his riches will fall. 
that yes, wealth is often the reward for faithless, but wealth is also a danger, and so often the righteous do suffer. We know all this with such clarity. Proverbs knows the world is complicated. Proverbs is not saying just work hard and you're going to mechanistically control an outcome. The world's broken. No, what I'm pleading with you for then is to hear Proverbs 22 verse 6 in that way. That there is an ordinary way the world is created to work. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And all of that is said with the humility of Ecclesiastes. All of that is said with the humility of the rest of Proverbs that says, yes, that is a way the world works, the way the world is created to work. But you do not control and manipulate outcomes. That the world is broken because of the curse and because of our sin. And things happen that are far outside of our control. And we cannot simply draw lines of causality at every point. Let's keep illustrating. We can all imagine the situation where we see someone has worked hard. We see that they have prospered. And we can draw the line of connection. Right? We can do this. We can see, wow, what a blessing. Your work paid off. God blessed your work. We could do that. We ought to enjoy it. We ought to delight in it. Draw the line. Don't be afraid to. Proverbs tells us to. We can also imagine the scenario where someone has prospered and you cannot draw the line backwards. They got lucky. They were lazy and despite themselves, they prospered. Proverbs acknowledges this. What was the verse again? 11 verse 16. Violent men get riches, right? We can do both. We can also imagine the scenario where someone is languishing in the misery of poverty, and we can draw a line backwards and say, yep, that's not surprising. We can see the laziness. We can see the foolish decisions. We can see how all of this led to the consequence that you are in right now. You can do that. And by the way, don't be afraid to do that. That's one of the things God uses to bring us to repentance and to new life, to confess our sin, to acknowledge our foolishness. Often the consequence of the sin is one of the things God uses to bring us back to Him. Don't be afraid of drawing the line. But we can also all imagine the scenario where someone is languishing in poverty despite all of their hard and wise work. Bad things happen far outside of our control. Bad things happen that have nothing to do with what we have done, and there's nothing we could have done about it. You see how this goes. Now apply all of that to what Proverbs says about parenting. All four of those scenarios I just gave, we can do when it comes to raising children. Can parents sin and be foolish in a way that has consequences for their children? Absolutely. Can parents be faithful in a way that is fruitful for their children? Absolutely. Can parents be faithful and have things go badly? Absolutely. Can parents be foolish and God, by His grace, nevertheless brings blessing? Absolutely. These are both real observations about reality. There is a way the world was made to work because of sin and the curse. It doesn't always go that way. So, what does this look like in the life of the church? Well, remember, we've said Ecclesiastes and Proverbs agree. So, Ecclesiastes does not cancel Proverbs at all. Parenting wisely matters. 
By all means, discuss it, talk about it, seek wisdom, seek to warn each other against the dangers of cultural influence. All of these things are good and right. We ought to be passionate about them. We ought to care about them. The way of the covenant and faithfulness in the way of the covenant and desiring to grow in faithfulness and not just react. All the things we want to talk about are good to talk about. And the wisdom matters, the faithfulness matters, the scripturalness matters. But do it all with humility. The humility that we need toward God that says we are not controlling anything. No matter what we do, every good gift is a gift of God's grace. No matter what we do in the life of the church, every moment of generational blessing is a gift of God's sheer grace. We do not control and manipulate. With humility that your children should sense The humility that says, I don't have a Bible verse for everything. God has deployed me as a parent to deploy wisdom. And that means making judgment calls that are often difficult. Your children ought to sense that humility. I want to warn you against trying to win debates with your kids by quoting Bible verses. Let them see your uncertainty. Let them see your free, grace-filled application of God's word in the way of wisdom. And then perhaps what I'm most after right now, humility toward each other. You see, it's not a war of quoting Bible verses. It is rather all of us contributing wisdom to each other, helping each other in the way of wisdom and learning wisdom from each other in the life of the church. We ought to expect diversity We ought to expect different approaches, different ways of thinking. And this is not just for parenting, how the church engages politics, how to think about work and economics and wealth, all of these things. We ought to want diversity and differentness as the way we can learn from each other. And so when you encounter a brother or sister who has very different thoughts, you have very different thoughts about how to apply Proverbs 22 verse 6 to a situation, Don't view that as an opportunity for conflict, but as an opportunity to contribute and to learn. To contribute and to learn. All in that way of wisdom. For we have all been given the Spirit as followers of Jesus Christ. All of us have wisdom to offer, wisdom to gain. Well, ultimately, what is it that makes all of that possible? But only finally in our conclusion that this is gospel wisdom from Proverbs. You see, what frees you to apply biblical wisdom with uncertainty? Well, let's put it a different way. What, what, what makes us obsessed with needing certainty? Well, it's that we think we're controlling something, we're earning something, we're deserving something, we've got to have it perfectly figured out then. But you see, if you're not, then you're free to live in that uncertainty of applying wisdom in a complicated world. And what makes that possible It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the wisdom of Proverbs is Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God. Proverbs 3 verse 19 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. Proverbs 8 speaks of wisdom as being divine and at work with the Father in the work of creation. John 1 tells us that through Christ all things were made, that Christ is the wisdom by which all of reality was called into existence. And so all of the wisdom being described is a wisdom that points us to Christ. 
Okay, let's look to Christ then. The only perfectly wise man. And how did that go for him? Suffering and death on the cross. The only perfectly wise man. And there was no mechanistic connection with how things go in the way of this life. Christ suffered. Look to Christ. And then you see in that suffering, wisdom personified, wisdom himself suffering and dying for you to earn your salvation. That wisdom himself dies on the cross to earn for us forgiveness and redemption so that you can look to wisdom in Christ. You look to wisdom suffering and you hear the good news, Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You look to wisdom himself and the announcement to you is no condemnation. In Christ, by his death and resurrection, you are forgiven and righteous in his sight. All of this is good news. And then as a further gift of that good news, Wisdom himself, who has dined for you on the cross, who proclaims to you no condemnation, then gives you the gift of wisdom, of living with the grain of reality. And every time you sense that it's incomplete, it's imperfect, you're still a sinner, you don't know it, you don't know it like you desire to know it, you look to that Christ and you hear no condemnation. Brothers and sisters, this is the grace the gospel required to navigate all of that complexity you might think I spent too much time laying out this morning. This is the grace that makes all of that possible. Grace that forgives your real failures. So, you are here this morning, and this entire sermon's been miserable because you're aware of failures. I'm not saying there's no such thing as failures. What I'm saying is, you are forgiven. God's grace forgives you. All of it. Every last bit of it. He forgives you more failure than you're even aware of. He forgives you more failure than you're willing to acknowledge or able to acknowledge. No condemnation in Christ. Forgiven, period. It is grace that then transforms how we live. That we can constantly go between those. Failed. Forgiven, now given wisdom. Be wise. Live that path. Live that way of wisdom that God gives. But now, it's non-anxiously. It's not earning. It's not controlling. It's not manipulating things. It's standing forgiven, knowing we've messed up, and now living with the grain of reality as a good gift of God's grace. It's grace that affirms you in the midst of your feeling of inadequacy right now. What makes it possible for you to be in the middle of dealing with two-year-olds, knowing yourself to be constantly inadequate, you then hear, train up a child. You're like, okay. What frees you to do that and actually smile when you say that? It's the gospel. It's grace. 
It's, it's not God saying, figure this out, and then, then you're going to control everything. It's God saying, you're forgiven. You are inadequate. You can't do this yourself. By his grace, he shows you the path that is good. He sustains you on that path. He promises, your, he, he promises to forgive your mistakes, and he blesses, he, he smiles upon you in the effort, in the seeking to be wise in that way of his grace, flowing from his grace, because of his grace. And dear brothers and sisters, let us communicate that grace to our children, not just with our words, but with the aroma, the vibe, the ethos, the feel of things in our life together, that it be clear that it is grace beginning, middle, and end. And finally, it is grace that points us to the future. And I said a moment ago, one of the dangers is pride when things go well, right, in any area of life. Pride when things go well. Every blessing God graciously gives, that he graciously connects with our faithfulness, all of it's a gift of his grace. Every blessing he gives is simply a pointer to the future. All that we have described does describe things that are very difficult, that are often miserable, And all of these things are reminders that we are in the in-between time, that we await the return of Christ, that we are pilgrims on the way. Each moment of suffering that has been described, and I hope we all know this morning, suffering has been described. Each moment of suffering that has been described teaches us to yearn for that future. Each moment of blessing that has been described, and dear brothers and sisters, there has been tremendous blessing. Each moment of blessing that has been described is simply a gracious pointer to that promised future. All of the imperfections of home point us to our desire for the one true home in the new creation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.